Welcome to another podcast episode of White Collar Crimes, the podcast where we show you the only color that truly matters in our criminal justice system is green. Brian Christopher Horn here, hosting you as always. You know, it's not uncommon for an athlete when their heyday's over to find other ways to venture out and continue to, you know, make money, you know, invest the money they have made. Happens all the time. I can remember uh, back in my college days, there was a basketball player near me here. I'm not too far from Kentucky, and that's the University of Kentucky basketball program, which almost always has a great team. And they had a gentleman that played there. I believe his name was uh, Jamal Mashburn. You know, had a great college career, played in the NBA for a while, and I read something a while back, it's been some years back, but he did really well investing his money and became kind of a franchise person, buying a lot of franchises, and, you know, just overall did very well with his money, which is is good because, you know, sports careers can be brief and, you know, especially football careers, and, you know, you end up, uh, you know, having to find something else to do if, if you don't, you know, stay in long enough to make enough money to live comfortably the rest of your life. So sometimes that's a situation and, you know, some of them take advantage of it. And unfortunately, some do not. And that's the, you know, kind of tragic case we talk about in this episode, which is that of Ramil Robinson, former basketball star, college and NBA. And Robinson was born in 1966 in Jamaica. And as I said, he would grow up to become quite an athlete, you know, excel at college basketball and, you know, for a while in the NBA. And he came to this country with his mother as a young child, I think a toddler, if I'm not mistaken, you know, pretty small still. He came over here and they settled in the Boston area for a short while. But by the time he had reached age 10, his mother said she didn't want him anymore and she abandoned him. And he was basically homeless and almost really feral, you know, kind of like a stray dog or stray cat for a short bit there. Roaming around, staying wherever he could, you know, sleeping in abandoned buildings, anywhere he could, you know, begging for food and sometimes going long periods without food. Uh, and he was taken in by a local couple named Helen and Lou Ford, and they were a respected local couple uh, known for their work in local child foster care they had apparently fostered a lot of children over the years and uh you know just good salt of the earth people not wealthy uh just middle class people i believe uh mr ford there was you know a local postal worker and they officially adopted him at this time in 1978 when he's about 10 years old and once he gets a you know roof over his head and you know food and life uh you know, help with life. He excelled. He did well in school and sports, uh, particularly basketball. And he continued to do well enough that it ended up getting him into college and the University of Michigan. And, you know, that's kind of like Kentucky. They usually have a pretty decent program, if I'm not mistaken, as well. I don't follow college basketball quite as closely as I do some other sports, but you know, usually you see them in the NCAA tournament. I, you know, like a lot of people, I'll kind of check that out when that's going on. And usually you see they have a team in, in that tournament. And no different here. 
So he goes there and becomes a celebrity and, you know, really a household name in Michigan when he helped them win their first NCAA title in 1989. And not only did he help them, but he was really the, the star in this final here because he ends up making the two game-winning free throws with about three seconds left, you know. So helping them get to that first title, you know, it kind of cemented his legend in this area. And, you know, winning an NCAA title and being the hero in that game is certainly going to get you a lot of recognition and, you know, get you recognized by a lot of people. And that would include, you know, the NBA, which that's what, you know, most of these college basketball players are playing for. And that, fortunately for him, propelled him to be drafted by the NBA's Atlanta Hawks in 1990. So, so he goes from you know, poor immigrant kid that was abandoned by his own mother to a college national basketball champion hero and then drafted into the NBA. So chance to make, you know, enough money probably to be set for life. But being a star in college doesn't necessarily translate into, you know, success at the professional level. We've seen that countless times in sports. We see that a lot in football. You know, we've seen Heisman Trophy winners you know, some quarterbacks that were, you know, predicted to be the next best thing. And, you know, for whatever reason, things just don't work out, you know. And then there's sometimes you have sports stars that, you know, were not highly drafted or touted and they fly under the radar and achieve monumental success. Uh, Kurt Warner, the former Rams quarterback, is a perfect example of that. You know, and there are stories like that. But sometimes, for whatever reason, I don't know, you know, maybe when you come in highly touted and highly drafted, everybody's queuing in on you and they're watching you and there's no way for you to fly under the radar you know very well could be but you know again it doesn't always translate into success and that's what happened unfortunately to Robinson um he did uh you know play a few seasons in the NBA and but after the first couple seasons or so he started becoming more kind of a part-time player bench player you know not a starter not a star And he kind of bounced around the league a little bit and eventually even ended up playing in some European leagues for a while, which again, you know, not entirely uncommon. Sometimes when uh, players, you know, and that's that way in other sports too, you know, sometimes I've seen this in baseball where when somebody's getting ready to finish their career in the major leagues, they'll go play in the Japanese or Mexican leagues or something for a few years, you know, just to keep playing professionally, doing what they love, being paid for what they do. And yeah, not the money they probably were making here, but it allows them to still, you know, to continue doing what they do and what they love to do and get paid for it. And, you know, again, not uncommon. I've seen other basketball players as well maybe end up settling and playing in Europe or something for a while. You know, again, it's, it is still professional. So he, uh, he does that for a while and then finally ends up calling it a day on his career. And it was reported that, you know, even in the time that he was there, he didn't have a, you know, particularly long or extensive career, but he did make millions of dollars while he was, you know, playing in the NBA and even in Europe. But as that old saying, a fool and his money are, you know, soon go separate ways. That uh, was certainly the case with Robinson. Um, He blew through all of this money and then some because he was known to lead a, you know, extremely lavish, high roller, you know, gluttonous almost type of lifestyle. And, you know, Gluttony is, you know, not only one of the seven deadly sins, it's one of the biggest 
uh, traits we see among white-collar criminals. We see that all the time, how they just continue to, whatever they do, they do it, uh, you know, to the max and, you know, and then some. And that was certainly the case with him, with his money. You know, he spent it on, you know, women, fancy cars, you know, uh, mansions, you name it. You know, he blew it. Very high-rolling lifestyle, you know, strippers, hookers, everything, you know. I'm sure uh, drug parties, things like that, you know, very high roller type lifestyle. And that forced him into bankruptcy in 1998, you know, not really all that long and all that long removed from the NBA. And, you know, he still tried to make, you know, make it in the business world because after his playing days, he did attempt to become a property developer in his native Jamaica. And he even persuaded his adopted mom, Miss Ford, to take out a second mortgage on her home to help get him some seed money to make this happen, you know. And again, you would kind of question, you know, why a guy that played professional basketball, you know, for some years there in the NBA and even in Europe, you know, probably had some endorsement deals, you know, being a college and NBA player, you know, how he needed to, you know, have his uh, adopted mom take out a second mortgage on her home. And again, the Fords were not wealthy people. They were, you know, just middle class and certainly not, uh, you know, wealthy, you know, high roller types, but he nonetheless asked her to do that. And he promised that he would make all payments on this and give her $500,000 from the project once this was completed. But his previous reckless spending also had destroyed his credit and he could not find anybody to actually finance this project, you know hard to imagine but you know somebody again that makes that much money would would have credit problems but you know it does happen you know especially when you you know i mean when you live you know very much beyond you know your means as that saying goes and you know when you you make a lot of money like this but when you you know wreck recklessly spend it that much and even more you know uh i can remember some other examples of other athletes and celebrities you know mike tyson despite making you know uh, possibly a few hundred million dollars in his career, he was forced into bankruptcy. And uh, MC Hammer, you know, when I was uh, about a junior or senior in high school, you didn't get any bigger than in the entertainment industry than MC Hammer. And, uh, you know, even, you know, going above and beyond what he took in, you know, having a big posse and, you know, as they called it, and, you know, spending on, uh, you know, a high image lifestyle, it forced him into bankruptcy. So, you know, it happens. And uh, it certainly happened uh, with Mr. Robinson, and he, you know, had destroyed his credit and nobody was willing to take a risk on his project. But through a friend, he was referred to a bank in Iowa for a $377,000 loan. You know, enough to play with and get started for him, so you would think. And the agreement was under the table that with this loan, he would kick back $100,000 to the loan officer just for moving it forward. So... Again, $277,000 if, you know, your main interest is to live a high-rolling lifestyle with, you know, again, partying with hookers and things like that that he was known to do. That would be enough to certainly get you started. And if you can find a dishonest loan officer like they did to finance something like this, you know, you can make it happen. So he ended up receiving over $1 million in loans from this bank over time but supposedly never paid back a dime. Despite all this, you know, again, I guess reason for his bad credit, he certainly didn't pay things back, and uh, that was the case here. He, you know, 
got a lot of money to finance his what you would think was a real estate development project but in the end he didn't uh, follow through with you know his requirements here and didn't even pay back a dime of what he had taken out and it would later be discovered that only about five percent of the money that he took out on these loans actually went to property development so only about five percent so you certainly have to question what happened to the other uh 95 percent you know i mean 95 percent of you know million dollars here or so that's that's a lot of money so uh you know what did it go for well, I mean, we certainly know, you know, past behavior is certainly a good indicator of future behavior. And, you know, most likely it went for, you know, his reckless, you know, high roller uh, partying lifestyle. But this all caught up with him. And on August 24th, 2009, his girlfriend and the bank loan officer were indicted on charges of bank fraud, bank bribery, wire fraud, and making false statements to a financial institution. So, you know, despite living, you know, high on the hog for a while, the gig was up and, you know, charges were finally coming forward. You know, and he had been on the radar of law enforcement for quite some time. And this, uh, you know, this finally got the ball rolling on that. And Robinson himself later surrendered to authorities on the 24th of September, 2009, about a month and a half later. And after he was arrested, Helen Ford, his adopted mom, came forward and accused him of swindling her out of her home. Because the reason why? Robinson had failed to keep up any of the payments on the second mortgage she was willing to take out to help him launch this business venture. And her home had been forced into foreclosure about two years before that in 2007. In fact, in 2009, she reported she was forced to move out of her home. Now, you think about that. This was a woman kind enough and her husband to take this young 10-year-old in that was an abandoned immigrant and basically homeless and feral at this time, feed him, clothe him, give him a good education, pave the way for him to have, you know, a a college basketball career and and an education, and then on top of that to go on, you know, to the NBA and, and, you know, professional basketball in Europe and and make millions of dollars they without these two that would not have happened you know he would have died probably pretty soon you know after being homeless and feral for a while he probably would not have made it much longer because when she took him in it was reported that you know he hadn't eaten for a while and and was you know not in good shape and would not have been if he stayed in that shape much longer so you know they're you know world-class people the Fords are here to take him in and do this but yet this is how they repaid him you know, it's it's really kind of disgusting, really, in my opinion, when I saw this story. And there is an episode on the show American Greed about this case as well. And, you know, when I first heard about this case, it, that was the most disgusting thing that stood out to me was this is how he repaid, you know, the very, you know, woman and man that, that kept him alive and paved the way for him to have success. You know, they lost their home and had it foreclosed on. Because, you know, he swindled them out of money for, you know, his own fraud and partying lifestyles, basically. Now, she did report she was able to get the home back in 2013. But you're talking, you know, four, five, six years here of a battle to, you know, keep their home and, you know, get their finances in order. Because no doubt this wrecked their credit because, you know, she's on the line for this with him taking out that loan. 
you know, and her putting up the home and, you know, having it the loan, you know, partially in her name too. So this certainly, you know, wrecked her credit as well. But things finally caught up for him for good. On September 8th, 2010, he was convicted on 11 of the previous federal counts that had been mentioned. And a few months later, on January 7th, 2011, he was sentenced to six and a half years in federal prison. You know, not a terribly long sentence. I mean, at least he got something. Again, we always talk about that, that these white-collar criminals oftentimes don't get hardly any type of punishment at all. At least he did get this, but, you know, he did, you know, defraud the bank and his own adoptive parents out of, you know, probably over a million dollars and, you know, caused, you know, one to, you know, the family there to nearly lose their home. So certainly, you know, could have probably gotten a lot worse. I don't know, maybe the fact maybe he didn't have a criminal record or something going into this might have been the reason he got a, you know, fairly light sentence. But nonetheless, he did at least get a sentence. And he was in order to pay over a million dollars in restitution to, you know, the folks that he had defrauded here, the bank and, you know, his adopted parents. Now, he did appeal this sentence, you know, which is his constitutional right, but he did lose the sentence appeal and the original six and a half year sentence was upheld. And in March 2012... A little over a year later, a federal judge ruled that $369,000 of his NBA pension could be used to cover some of the restitution. And, you know, I wish they had more information out there how well some of these white-collar fraudsters do on restitution because I know very few cases where they actually do pay this off what they're owed. I've talked about this some, you know, in the past, you know, Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street, and, you know, others that we've covered that many times they don't pay it all back and in some cases don't pay any back you know I'm always curious it's not a white collar crime case but you know OJ Simpson lost a you know huge civil case from the Goldman family you know back in the day in the 90s there and I'm not aware of him ever paying anything from that settlement or that judgment so you know who knows how well it's enforced but the judge did order that some of his salary could go to or some from his NBA pension could go to cover that So he did his time. He did pretty close to the full time there, and reportedly he was released from federal prison on September 19th, 2016. Um, At the time of this report here, no real word where his current location or whereabouts are. But as always, when they're out, I always talk about this too. You know, you got to worry about the uh, potential for them to continue in this type of behavior and, you know, be working on their next scam. You know, who, who knows? I don't know that he'll have a lot of money to launch anything now and who would trust him to give him any uh it was reported when he was arrested he had gotten so financially destitute that he was living in a seedy sleazy motel he wasn't actually in any of his high rolling mansions or anything anymore those had been lost and foreclosed on and and done with so i don't know that you know he'll have the money really to launch any type of real estate development scheme or anything but who knows these uh folks these white collar criminals are very cunning and they're very manipulative and they can talk and persuade somebody to do just about anything. And I wouldn't doubt a bit if he's not going to be able to someday pull off another one. We've seen it over and over again. So we will watch and wait. And, you know, if we get another update on him, we'll we'll do a little follow-up show on it. So, well, we, as always, thank you for tuning in to this one. Uh, please like our Facebook page, White Collar Crimes. 
you know, and if you also want to donate to us, you can check out the donate link on our Anchor FM page. As I always say, most importantly, we appreciate you just tuning into the show. And also, check out my website, ryan-horn.com, if you're in need of any voiceover service. Just finished an audio book, and I do, you know, a lot of things like that, you know, so if you are in need of a service like that, please let me know. Or you can, you know, if you have an idea for a show, you can contact me on my Anchor FM page of White Collar Crimes, or you can email me at ryanhornvt at gmail.com. You know, as I always said, we have had folks that listen to this show actually come on and be guests, and if you would like to be a guest or just have an idea for a show, certainly would like that, so definitely let me know. Be glad to get that on for you. And as you always say, you know, as my wife likes to say, adopt, don't shop. You know, if you're in need for your next best friend, go down to your local shelter. Don't go to a, uh, you know, don't go to a pet shop or a puppy mill or anything like that. The shelters are full and, you know, your next best lifelong friend are the three dogs that we have and two cats that we have. They're all, you know, rescues from the shelters and, you know, we wouldn't have it any other way. They're, you know, they're our world, so... You get a chance to help that out and make that happen. And as I always say, too, you know, watch out for each other. The fraudsters are out there looking to take advantage of anybody they can. So keep an eye out for your parents, your elderly friends, relatives especially, because those are unfortunately the most targeted victims. And tune in to us next time. Looking forward to the next episode. We're going to talk about a whiz kid fraudster that uh, managed to start a carpet cleaning business from his parents' garage in high school and uh, ended up becoming a, a whole fraud and ended up doing some time in prison and a lot of other really interesting things in that case. So uh, tune into that one next week. So we do thank you for tuning into this one. God bless and take care, everybody. We'll see you next time.